Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, as we come to the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he leads us into confrontation with one of the major social problems of our day. And you go, Ben, what is that? It's the breakup of marriages. The breakup of marriages. And I was praying this week, and I was seeking the Lord, and, and, and I was reminded by the Lord about context. And again, context is key, because again, I want to remind you, if we're to take any verses out of context of a passage, we make it a pretext. And then I can preach and make it say anything I want to say. You guys are very bright. You understand that that's what a lot of people do when it comes to building. We can pull a passage out of context and we could build our church based on this verse and we have to be careful. I don't want to make it a pretext. I want it to be in context, context. Okay. And, and, and so the Lord Jesus, he, he said, let me remind you of a few things before you give it to the congregation. I said, talk, Lord. What, what do you want? He says, first and foremost, Paul is addressing some vital questions that the church asked him in a letter. They had written a letter and they said, Paul, here's some questions we need. And so Paul is simply addressing question. Here's what you need to understand. Paul is not going to give us the theology of marriage. He's simply going to give us some answers. Later on in Ephesians, and Peter talks about the theology of marriage and what marriage should look like, Paul here is not going to delve deep in theology. What he's going to do is answer some questions. Amen? Okay, so that's thing. And you go, well, Ben, 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 what were the questions? Now, here's the thing. We don't know. We're not given the questions, but based upon the text, we can assume they were something like this. Just put on your thinking caps for just a moment. Maybe they were saying, hey, Paul, now that we're saved, what about sexual relationships? What should we do? Remember, the temple of Aphrodite was located in Corinth, and so what happened is that is that in a religious worship way, the prostitutes would come down, and they would have sex with the men. And that's how they made a living. And so all of a sudden, they get saved, right? And so they're going, okay, what do we do now? And so they're asking Paul, what do we do about this? And he deals with that early on, chapter 7. Maybe another question is this. Paul, can you please address the topic of, of, of sex in our home? My wife, my husband, is depriving me, and I'm struggling with the issue. Paul, what do we do? Or maybe the question was asked, hey, Paul, what about divorce? Now that I'm saved, he's not. Should I stay married? Should we divorce? Should I marry a Christian? What should we do? Now, these are some of the questions we could assume based upon Paul's answer, and here's why. There were, there were, we assume that there were people in the church that came in when Paul preached, got saved, and when I mean saved, I mean a real relationship with Jesus Christ. They didn't simply buy a Christian t-shirt and walk around going, I'm saved. They, they actually made Jesus Lord and followed him. Well, they're coming into the church and they're going, well, my husband's not saved. Maybe I should divorce him and marry a Christian. Maybe that's the thing to do. They were abstaining from sex because what they were saying is that, listen, for me to have sex with my husband now, now that I'm saved, it's going to defile me and I want to be, I want to be spiritual. 
So there are all these questions in the context. Okay, so Paul, again, addresses the letter. Now, here's what we need to understand. Okay, what we need to understand, guys, is we don't have the questions, but in the context here is what we've learned. Okay, I'm going to give them to you again. Throughout all of the Roman provinces, and here in the city of Corinth, there were four ways a person could be married. Four ways. You go, what's that? Well, the first one here is something called contibrium. And what it was simply was tent compatibility. What happened here is there were so many slaves and so many rampant all over. The slavery was really rampant during this time. That what happened is two slaves could get together Okay, and they could live, and they could live in the same tent, and they would be considered married. Okay, we're tent compatibility, that we're in the same tent. Now, she's a slave, I'm a slave, and what would happen is that because uh, they would just, they would just be considered married. Now, they wouldn't have like a legal ceremony or anything else, because they were yet slaves. The only problem with that is that the owner could come and go, oh, I'm selling this guy, and he would go, well, I guess we're no longer married, because we're not in the same Tent. That was one way. Okay. Paul understands that. The second way uh, that you could be married is something called USUS. U-S-U-S. And you go, what does that mean? Well, what would happen is that men and women could, could acknowledge and say, we're going to live together for one year. And after one year, they would be considered married. Okay. We know that today is common law marriage. It's kind of, we have the same thing. If two people say, oh, I don't need a piece of paper to be married and they live together, eventually the law is going to recognize that they are common law. And if they decide to split up, guess what the law is going to say? No, everything's 50-50 because you are common law married. That was still going on here. That's what Paul had to address. Another way to be married, guys, was something that was marriage by sale, if you will, marriage by sale. Okay, men would have daughters and uh, and other men would come in and say, hey, I want to marry your daughter. And he said, "Okay, what would you give me for her? Well, she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's young. She's of childbearing years. I will give you a camel. I will give you a cow. I would give you whatever. And so he would say, "Okay, I'll take a camel and two chickens for my daughter and then you can be married. And they would do that, guys. They would they would they would dads would sell their daughters. And again, they would sell them all the way from a camel, which is very high priced, a camel is very high priced, to, I mean, to the lowest of animals, a couple of chickens. You know, and be like, well, you know, you're the last one, sweetie, I guess. Maybe I'll get two chickens for you. I mean, could you imagine? You know, I mean, the poor daughter would feel like, wow! You came from your mother's side. Maybe we'll... Anyway, so... So they would do that. Now, if you've ever seen the movie, right, A Fiddler on the Roof, you see that there were suitors coming to try to buy a marriage with Octavia's daughter. And one of the butchers like, I'll give you a pig for her. And he's trying to negotiate. That was going on in the Greek, in the provinces. Everybody got that. And last was something called conferito, conferito, and it was the classy kind of marriage. This is where they would, this is kind of where we get our weddings today, okay? You go, well, what would happen? Well, they would come in before a priest or, or somebody and they would join right hands and they would say vows, I love you, I love you, and they would pray, except they wouldn't pray to God, they would pray to Jupiter or Juno, and then they would exchange rings, and then after that, they would go somewhere else to have cake. We know that is a reception. 
Okay, that was going on then. Now, the Catholic Church came and adopted that and said, oh, we're going to do this. And so that's where we get our weddings today. Far from Jewish weddings. How long does the Jewish wedding last? Seven days, okay? This is an afternoon. We're married. Uh, 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 honeymoon time. Let's go. This was seven days for Jewish. So again, this is what Paul is dealing with. Everybody got that. Okay, you go, Ben, why is this important? Because this is how he's going to address what's happening today. Now, the Bible says that in Corinth, there was much people. So Paul comes in and he plants a church. He says, hey, guys, we're going to plant this church. Okay, so guess what happens when you plant a church and you start presenting the gospel? People get saved. People get saved. Now, what happens when you got saved? Well, pastor, let me tell you, I was clean. No, you came in with all your baggage. You still, you kind of came in with stuff that you go, oh, man, I didn't realize that I still had this baggage. That's what we all do. God cleans us up. And that's why it's so important when you present the gospel, you say, hey, 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 listen, listen. Just give your life to Jesus. Just open up your heart. Just abide in him, and then we'll let him clean you up. Because the other way is like, hey, sister, you need to be cleaned up. You need to get your life together, and then you could come to Jesus. That never happens. We never get our life clean to come to the Lord. We got to come, and he'll go, okay, let me clean you. And then what does he do? He starts working on me to make me what I ought to be, right? He starts chipping away those things. But but guess what? I've, I've, I've got some luggage. I've got some baggage. That's what's going on in the church at Corinth. What kind of baggage? What kind of baggage? Well, again, think about it. They were, they were, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I like this guy. You shouldn't go see this guy. I, my teacher's better than your teacher. That's what they're saying, right? And then he comes and he says, oh, by the way, let's talk about divorce. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about all of this stuff. So what does Paul do? Paul can't go and go, listen, I need to, I need to wipe out the sanctity. I need to, I need to wipe out uses and you can't talk like that. You shouldn't have 10 compounds. This has been going on for a long, long time. So what does he do? He does something so, so inspirational by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. He teaches the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of marriage right where they were at. So if you had people get saved and go, man, we were slaves. We're saved. We're slaves, but we're saved. Are you married? Yeah, we've been, we've been married. He goes, okay, stay right there. And you have other people go, hey man, we're, we've been living together for five years. Are we, are we married? He says, you're married. Let me teach you the sanctity of marriage. He says, my, my, my dad sold me. We're married. You know, stay right where you're at, right? So he's going to teach that way. He teach the sanctity of marriage. And if you have a pencil handy, let me tell you what sanctity means. It's the state or quality of being holy, sacred or saintly. So he's going to teach that about marriage. He's not going to come and he's not going to, listen to me, he's not going to come and he's not going to condemn people for living together tent-wise. How could you? You know what? You just need to. Come on. He teaches. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That sounds almost like the gospel, doesn't it? And you say, why? Because here's what, here's what the gospel does for us. Jesus doesn't say, hey, sister, you give your life to the Lord, here are all the rules, here's the list of rules, and when you follow these rules, you can follow. What does he say? He says, abide in me. He says, love me. When you love me, all the other stuff, it's gonna, you're going to work through it. It's going to be okay. Love me. Love me. It was St. Augustine who once said, um, love Jesus and then do whatever you want to do. And everybody goes, what? Yeah, because he realized that if you love Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, what are you going to do? Because you love Jesus. So you're not going to 
Actually, that's kind of where we get our vision at Calvary Chapel, teaching people to love God. Because we want to teach people to love God so much that we're not going to do those things that are displeasing to God. And we may mess up occasionally. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because we love our wives, and we don't want to do anything to hurt them, but we mess up from time to time. We hurt their feelings and so forth. But that's exactly what God, he says, okay, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach the sanctity of marriage. And so what's he's going to say? He's going to say, now, let me teach you. Now that you, you're saved and you're married, there should be holiness, godliness, blessedness in your marriage, in your marriage. And when the, in, within the confines of sanctity lies truth. Truth on what? Truth on marriage, truth on sex. He talked about that. He's going to say actually separation and, 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 and as well as divorce. And I'll explain that in a moment. Now think about divorce for just a moment. When it comes to the breakup of marriage, the statistics are out of control. How frightening. Why? Two out of three marriages will actually end in divorce. Two out of three marriages in many other countries are actually catching up with with us in America. And you go, yeah, Ben, but that's the world. That's the world. The church is different. In the church, we're over 50%. One out of every, right? One and a half out of every three marriages. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's 50% uh, are going to end up, you know, in, in a divorce or a marriage breakup. And yet, with this widespread frightening increase in marriage breakups, what we're doing is simply repeating the conditions that were true in Corinth when this letter was written. Keep this in the back of your mind, okay? Divorce was rather rare in the Jewish communities then, okay? But in the Greek cities like Athens and Corinth and other Roman cities, guys, divorce was a frequent thing. It was something you heard on the news every day. As a matter of fact, you never hear of a Jewish woman actually divorcing her husband, but in Corinth and other cities, the woman could actually divorce her husband, okay? So she'd come home and say, this is the, you left your socks on the floor again? I'm out of here. She could divorce, right? So that's what Paul is dealing with. That's what Paul is dealing with. Now, remember the context. Paul understands the pressures behind the breakup of marriages. He is well aware, guys, of people bringing baggage into the church and not really learning, and so he wants to address the issue. He wants to address the issue. Okay? So, if you recall where we left off last week, Paul talks about marriage, but he also talks about sex. And he starts off by telling the church this in verse 1. Now, concerning the things which you wrote to me, there's the questions. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each one have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Paul says it's not good for you to have sexual intercourse with someone other than your wife. Because I understand what's going on. He says sexual immoralities where we get the word, it's the Greek word porneia. He says, I understand that. I get it. Okay, I'm not going to rehash last week's teaching. But he says, it's not good. He says, so let each man have his own wife and his own husband. Okay, he starts off like that. Now, remember the idea behind his answer. What's that? He says, being celibate is good. But so is marriage. So he's not saying, listen, y'all need to be celibate. Y'all just, no more. Don't even look at, don't even look at her. Okay? He's not saying that. He's saying celibate is good, but so is marriage. Marriage is way good. Marriage is way good. Okay? 
way good. And he says this, right? He says, and uh, so if you're married, he says, don't deprive each other with physical intimacy. Okay, your attention, please. Let's remember that physical intimacy is more than just sex. Physical intimacy is holding hands. Physical intimacy is, is hugging. Physical intimacy is your wife is talking to somebody and you come up and you kind of put your arm around her and let her know, oh, baby, I love you. It's so much more than, than, than just sex. Everybody understand that? Okay? Because if we just go, oh, just sex and my wife's not giving me any sex. No, 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 no. It's, it's so much more. It's so much more. Okay? Last week, it was funny because Carolyn and Leon were at church and I said, today's sermon I wrote just for you. Okay, now they're an older couple. They're an older couple, right? And they looked at me and they laughed. I said, it's about sex and marriage, right? And then I got a chuckle because when we studied on Wednesday, when we studied on Wednesday, think about this, right? He, Paul says, don't deprive each other, right? Have that physical intimacy. But in our, in our Genesis study, guys, think about this. In chapter 26, it says that Isaac was 60 years old, right? He was 40 when he got married. He was 60 when he had Isaac, or when Rebecca had, right, Jacob and Esau, okay? Then it kind of fast forwards a little bit more, and it says that there was a famine, okay? The boys are older now. There was a famine, and so he goes down to Gerar. He tells Rebecca, say, you're my sister because you're so beautiful. They're going to kill me, and that works for a while, until one day, here's what the Bible says, check it out. In Genesis 26, 8, it says, When Isaac had been there for some time, King Abimelech looked down from his window and saw Isaac and Rebekah making love. And you go, okay, so what's the point? Guys, here's the point. Isaac and Rebekah had to be in their 80s. Yeah. Right? They had to be older but the effect, wow, why is that? Here's why. Guys, we, we don't fall in love with a person's body because it's going to get old and it's going to droop and it's going to wrinkle. I mean, that, that's just life. But physical intimacy comes from the person who loves Jesus that you see inside. And so, and I thought, wow, 80 years old, that's pretty cool. Because our culture says, hey, well, you're getting old. You know, you can't be doing it all the time. You know, it's, come on. But physical intimacy is more than just sex. Can I get an amen? It's, it's holding hands. It's, oh, I was working out at the gym the other day. And Nathalie, there, there's a class called Silver Sneakers. And these two old people were what? They're old. Old. And they're just holding, he's holding her hand. And he's just loving her. And I was like, oh, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. I got, I got a lot of work to do, guys. But you know what I'm saying? We've got to do that. We've got to do that. Now, as we come to our text today, guys, Paul is going to talk about marriage in general. You guys ready? Picking it up in verse 10, he says, Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Everybody see that? Okay? He's saying, he's saying, listen, I'm answering your questions, but here's how I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to tell you what Jesus says. And that's where this comes in, okay? He says, a wife is not to depart from her husband. 
But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Now, if I were just to preach on that verse, okay, we would walk out of here condemned. Because many people I talk to go, oh, well, I was divorced. And Jesus just said not to get divorced. Context. He's answering a question. Let's break it down. It's so, so important. Paul says in the sanctity of marriage, he says, no matter how you were married, he says, you are married here, and here's what the command of the Lord. Don't get divorced. And you go, whoa, 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 Ben, 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 whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Now, what's the context? The context is this. Remember, people were getting saved and saying, I need to divorce him because I should marry a Christian. He's not, okay, you guys with me? Okay? Now, remember, remember, many people would go, wait a minute, Moses actually permitted a, a, a divorce, and now you're saying no? Well, here's what, here's what we need to remember. When it comes to divorce, Moses permitted divorce based upon the hardness of your heart. You, you guys looking at me, you understand, right? It's the hardness of your heart. You get to the point where it's like, no, no. And so, in this context, he's saying, no, you guys, you got to be careful. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. I need to be sensitive in this area. Why? Because I fully understand there are legitimate reasons to get divorced from someone. You guys with me? Okay? As an application, you are never to be somebody's punching bag. Pastor, he's abusing me mentally, physically, sexually. What should I do? Well, the Bible says, no, you are not to be somebody's punching bag. You are not to be somebody's doormat. Paul is addressing believers. Lordship is key. And so sensitive, I go, man, I know, Lord, there's a lot of people. I get it. I I truly understand. I get it. You Listen, and it goes both ways. It goes both ways. There's also an instance where where you go, hey, he was unfaithful. And Jesus said, because of infidelity, I will permit that. But we need to understand. We need to understand, guys, that there are reasons that people divorce beyond their control. Amen? God didn't call us to judge that. And what I like to say is divorce is not the unpardonable sin. And we take it in our culture and we make it so, I mean, we just, we just, oh, well, you're, you're just, oh, you're, you're a second class citizen. That's not the case. The case is, remember, there are reasons that nobody knows except you. The issue is, that's not how God intended it from the beginning. He intended for a man and a woman to be together for a lifetime. And we say, amen. But that's not always the case in our culture. That's not always the case. It, 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 you know, well, Ben, are you, are you saying it's okay to divorce? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, I know there are people that are going to be listening to this, that are going to be hearing this, even you guys here, that go, man, I've been divorced before. Now what? He's talking specifically to a group of people that have come in and said, I want to be holy, I'm saved now, I should divorce him. 
I got saved. I mean, we just can't, we can't just be living together. We need to do something. I should divorce him. I should marry a Christian. I should, he's, he's talking about that. He's not talking about how there was abuse and there was all of this stuff in a marriage. He's not talking about that. And I'm like, oh God, help us, help us. His intentions and always has been God. Now, why? Why? Because he knows, guys, that divorce, like anything else, it destroys family and it destroys people. And God's not going, don't do it. He's going, please don't do it because it's going to destroy. It hurts. But then he also gives us Romans 8.28, doesn't he, where he says all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. And so and so I love that verse. Why? Because I go, I mean, there's sometimes when, when, when stuff happens early on and we make bad choices and this happens, but God comes in and he redeems that. You go, amen. Amen. There are times, guys, when we're 20 years old, 19 years old, 18 years old, and we feel like we need to be married, and we're not asking God in any way, shape, or form, and we get married, and we know it's the wrong person. Ah, and God can come in and redeem that. It's okay. Context, help me. Everybody say context. Who is he talking to, right? He's talking to fully devoted followers of Christ who just seem to be struggling with some questions. What does he say? He says, listen to what he says. He says, listen, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But if she does depart, let her remain unmarried to be reconciled to her husband, and a husband should not divorce his wife. Now, why would he say that? Here's why, guys. Because if she had a woman who go, I got saved, so I'm going to divorce him and marry them right away. He says, no, 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 calm down, calm down. And I'm going to tell you why. And so he steps away from the marriage, folks, and now he's going to talk to another group of people. Look at verse 12. He says, but to the rest, he's going to answer a question. He says, I, not the Lord, say, if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And if a wife who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Can you imagine the scene? That's the scene. All of a sudden, sweetie, guess what? I got saved today. Really? What does that mean? Man, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Now, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story real quick, okay? Nathalie's grandma. Nathalie's grandma loved her husband. Been married, gosh, they were married 50 plus years, I think, or more than that. One day, Nathalie's grandma, she got saved. I mean, she got radically saved. Okay? He had been a little bit drinking. Okay? True testimony. He had been drinking the night before. And he came home and he accused Nathalie's grandma of having another man. And then he passes out. And so the next morning he gets up and, and she goes, do you remember what you accused me of last night? Ah, do you remember what you accused me of having another man? And of course, he's probably white as a ghost going, what? I don't really remember what I said. And she looks at me and she goes, it's true. And he goes, and she pointed to a picture of Jesus and she goes, that's the guy. And she said, for so many years, I've served you. Now I serve him. The point is she got saved, but my Nathalie's grandpa said, Okay. And she stayed. You, you guys see the point. Now, fast forward. He's on his deathbed. 
Okay? And on his deathbed, in Spanish, he says to the Lord, Mi corazón es tu corazón. My heart is your heart. He gave his life to Jesus on his deathbed because of the life that Grandma lived. Paul says, if a brother has a wife and he doesn't believe and she's willing to live with him, stay with him. If, if you have a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with you, don't divorce him. Don't divorce him. And you go, why? Everybody say why. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Do you guys see that? And you go, okay, what does the word sanctified mean? Remember, it means, it means holy. And, and so he says, some believing spouses in Corinth may have been concerned that sexual relations with unbelieving spouses would cause defilement. So now they're saying, they go, oh, I can't, he's not a believer. I can't sleep with him. He's going to defile me, okay? And Paul's like, no, no, no. Paul explains that these believers are not defiled. Instead, they're unbelieving spouses who are sanctified through the process of knowing a believer. Sanctified through the process. How so? Here's what we need to understand. We could take that verse out of context and we could say, oh, that, that's all I need. Um, I'll use, I'll just use Adam and Tiffany since they're in the front row. Let's just say that Adam is not saved, Tiffany's saved. And Tiffany is walking with Jesus, and the Bible says, oh, well, Adam's going to be sanctified. That does not mean Adam is saved. We cannot stand for anyone else. Everyone's going to stand for God by themselves. Amen? But what that means is he's going to be holy. Why? Because just like my, just like Nathalie's grandparents, she, her life is going to show a different way. Sanctified sanctified. But then Paul, why do you have to bring children into the mix? Check it out. Listen. Because the word unclean here, it says your children would be unclean. That actually means unbelievers. Here's why. And you guys know this. Here's practical. If both parents are not believers, children are going to be brought up as unbelievers. Okay? But if one parent is saved... Chances are, children are closer to hearing the gospel and getting saved. That's what he's saying. That's Paul's saying that. It's like, wow. Wow. Well, pastor, what if he just, he's not having this whole salvation thing? He's just not having it. She's not having salvation. He gets saved. She, he's like, man, you changed. We used to go out. We used to live the vida loca. Now you're going to church. What is wrong with you? Paul says, here's the deal. Listen, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Everybody see that? But God has called us to what? Let's try it again. God has called us to? Why is that important, guys? Why is that important? Because God has called us to peace. And I'm going to shoot straight with you. This is my opinion. I'm far from the pulpit. Simply my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. I've had many people in my office, couples, that there's no peace in their home. There's no peace in their marriage. Pastor, what should we do? 
my response is always, you guys got to work hard. You got to try to salvage this relationship. God can do it. Amen. But if there's no peace and there's tox- toxicity in the marriage and there's, and there's, and there's abuse and everything, my opinion only, there's got to be peace. And almost all the cases, guys, one of them is not a believer. There's not the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it, there's, there's always tension. Paul is addressing believers. And he says, listen, let's, let's be in peace. Verse 16, for how do you know, a wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, a husband, whether you will save your wife? The believing spouse, listen, is under no obligation to maintain a marriage with an unbelieving spouse if she, if he decides to leave. This is the only pro, listen, I'm out of here. She has to go, man, okay, okay. But in most cases, the husband or the wife, they actually get saved watching the other change in, in the other person. Do you guys remember the movie Fireproof, Kirk Cameron? That showed a perfect. Remember, Kirk Cameron was struggling. They were fighting. They were on the verge of divorce, and and he was just like, "Dad, I can't take it." And then Dad takes him to the cross, and he says, "Son, you can't give her what you don't have." And and Kirk Cameron, known as Caleb, he gets saved. Well, he's saved. She's not. And then he begins the the love dare. He begins to be ministering to her. He begins to the change. She sees the change. She doesn't understand it for a while, but then at the end of the movie, you remember, she goes to him. She goes, "I want what you have." I want that. And so they both get saved. At the end of the movie, they're both walking to church and, and they're both serving Jesus. When we have a real walk with God and we have an unbelieving spouse, that change, they want that. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, man, you can't, you can't save him. But man, if you live for Jesus and he sees that, that's, that's the most amazing thing. And then in verse 17, he says, but God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one. So let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. What did Paul say? Here's the principle, guys. In everything, the Christian is to remain in his calling unless it's immoral. He's supposed to remain there. What do you mean? Well, he reiterates that in verse 24. He says, brethren, let each one, each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Now, however you were when you got saved, he says, stay there. Why? In context, I need to leave him. I'm saved. He's a heathen. I don't want to sleep with him. Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm going to teach the sanctity of marriage. When you got saved, you were married, right? Yeah. Stay married. Stay married. Now, I want to, I want to remember, Paul's not teaching us theology, okay? He's not going to go into the depths of it, but he's, he wants to give us, he's answering the question. He's answering the question. Okay? So, what is he saying? That's the principle. Now, what does Paul do? I love the way Paul writes letters, because he's going to illustrate what he just taught us. How so? Well, what he does in verses 18 through 24 is using very common practice, calling circumcision in slavery. Everybody knows about circumcision. Everyone knew about slavery. So he's going to, let me illustrate it this way. Look at verse 18. Was anyone called while circumcised? And the guys would go, yeah, some of them were, some of them weren't. Remember, this is, this is a mixed group. You had Greeks, you had Gentiles, you had Orientals, you had Jews. He says, hey, hey, listen, was anyone called? He says, let him not become uncircumcised. 
Was anyone called while he was uncircumcised? Yeah. Let him not become circumcised. It's okay. Why? He says, because circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling which he was called. Well, I don't get it, Paul. Okay, let me try it this way. Were you called while you were a slave? Yes, Paul, we were, we were married. It was called tent. You know, we were together in the tent. We lived in the tent together. He says, do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So what is Paul telling us, guys? Wherever you were called, that's where you're saved. Move forward. Move forward. Whatever it is in the calling, however you were saved. Did you get saved? Were you married when you got saved? I did. Amen. What does your wife think? Well, she got saved just a few few months later. Were you were you a free man when you got? I was free. Then then now you're Christ's slaves. If you were a slave, guess what? You can use that freedom in Christ to reach others. What's the purpose, guys? The point and the purpose is Paul is saying that our lives, whether married, divorced, single, is to glorify God. And let him take care of the other stuff. Let him handle, let, let him worry about that. However you are today, however you are today, if you're single, if you're married, if there's struggle is, man, you're just, just keep going, just keep going forward. Now we're gonna close, guys, we're gonna close, okay? But I started thinking about this and I'm going, man, this is, this is, this is tough. And Paul taught us both the Lord's commands and he goes, now this is what I'm thinking about the breakup of marriages. But then I thought, wait a minute, Lord, I have a lot of people who are married. And there's, and there's going to be those who plan on getting married someday. What, what should I do? What can I do? Well, I thought, let's give them some helpful tips on growing and maintaining a healthy marriage. So if you're here today and you're single and you think, yeah, maybe someday I'd like to be married, or you're here and you go, I am married, or you're here today and you go, man, I am married, but things are tight, let me give you some helpful things that I think that can help every one of us in this area. You go, what are they? Okay, number one, let's talk to the husbands. Ephesians 5 is clear. It's a clear call to a radical sacrificial love. You go, what do you mean? It says this, Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. Can I get an amen? amen? Here's what he's saying for us husbands to ponder. Ready, husbands? Death. Death. Marriage is a call to die. And a man who does not die for his wife does not come close to the love in which he is called. We need to be willing to lay down our lives for our wives. I've never used the word death in any of the marriage vows, but I think that'd be good, right? And due to the groom, you plan on dying? Huh? That's what marriage is. You're going to die. Number two, intercession. Men, praying for her in intercession. 
laying down your will to pray for her. We need to do this. This is for us men. But what about when, what about, what about both of us? Well, when it comes to marriage, we must heed the following disciplines in order to guide us to a healthy, fruitful marriage. You ready? Jot this down. If you're married, you gotta jot this down. Number one, commitment. Commitment. Both agree to the covenant vows and the commitment of marriage. Till death do us part. Till death do us part. Commitment is such a long word because it's such a long thing that we need to do. We need to be committed. Number two, what do we need to do? You ready? Fidelity. Fidelity. Be faithful to each other. We must rest in the fact of our fidelity. Be faithful. With what? Our eyes? Our language? Our schedules, our phones, our passions, they must always say to each other, I am and will always be faithful to you. Hey, baby, let me see your phone. Uh-uh. You don't want to be looking at my phone. Well, why? Well, what am I implying? That I haven't been faithful to you. We gotta, we gotta have that, guys, to each other. Listen, there you go. Number three, communication. Not just talking to each other, communicating. Okay, we need, listen, guys, we need to listen to understand. Don't listen simply to reply, to reply. I'm good at that. Well, let me tell you. Well, let me see this. Let me show you some things in you. Let me. No, listen to understand. Okay. Okay. So communication is key. Communication is key. Number four, elevation. Elevation. Guys, this is a, this is a discipline we need because we need to build up each other. That's the greatest importance. We need to build up each other. Number five, time and romance. Time and romance is a discipline. When was the last time you opened the door for her? Here you go, baby. When was the last time you looked in her eyes and said, I love you? Not out the door, love you! But you looked in her eyes and you said, baby, I love you. I know, guys, we get busy. We're out the door. We're out the door. Love you. Peace. You know, she knows I love her. She knows. knows. When was the last time you complimented him or complimented her? The other day I was running and Nathalie was driving to work and she stopped and she rolled down her window and I said, I said, I love you. And she said, I love you. And I said, wow, you look gorgeous. She looked and she goes, and she gave me the look like, are you talking to me? And the Lord convicted me. He goes, see, you haven't been telling her that. She was surprised for you to say that. 
been married 31 years. She knows she's gorgeous. No, 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 no. We need to tell him. We need to tell him. I don't want my wife to be surprised when I give her a compliment. Right? Can you imagine? You give somebody a compliment. Boom! What happened? They're on the floor. That just knocked them out. <laughs> Baby, you're gorgeous. You're talking to me? No. It should be like, aw, thank you. Thank you. When was the last time, listen to me, you wrote a loving note? Not a text. I just love the emojis. Heart. Listen, back in my day, they didn't have text. You had to write a note. Write a note. We don't have paper and pencil in our house, Pastor. Then take her lipstick, write it on the mirror, tell her how much you love her. I ain't wasting my $7 lipstick. Okay, never mind. Never mind. I didn't realize how. Well, maybe it's more. I don't know. <laughs> last but not least, guys. When was the last time you went on a date? A date. I mean, we go on a date every week. We go on a date. I pick her up. No, I'm talking a date where you buy flowers and candy. You get dressed up and you take her to somewhere other than the dollar menu. A date. And you buy her something really nice. And it's all about her. What do you want to do? Now, here's the thing, guys. Men, men, be a planner. Be a planner. Don't just be like, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. Well, where do you want to eat? I don't know. And you spend, and then you get upset. You get upset. Well, you want Italian? No, I had that for lunch. Well, then what do you want to eat? You know, I mean, we're just, plan it. Plan it, plan it, plan it. We're going, baby, get dressed up. I'm picking you up. Here's some flowers. Here's some chocolates. There might be half empty because the drive was long, but there's some chocolates. Come on, let's go. Let's go to a nice dinner. And can I add one more thing? Don't talk about the kids. All our dates are like, well, let me tell you about this. Let me talk about, talk about life. Talk about God. See, intimacy is not only physical, but it's spiritual. Tell me what God is doing in your life. Have you heard from God? Wow. Open the door for her. And men, walk proud. Walk proud. That's my girl. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That'll do so much wonders for both you and her. Church, listen. I don't want you to walk out of here condemned. I just want you to love Jesus right where you're at. Right where you're at. Just love Jesus. Paul is dealing with a whole other issue. He's not talking theology. We'll get to theology later in Ephesians and 1 Peter and all that. But he's, he's just saying, hey, listen, if you're saved, love your wife. Work it out. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just answering the question. Can I get an amen? Father, thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. Thank you for your great love for us, Lord. 
Thank you for 1 Corinthians chapter 7. May it be bathed in the grace and the mercy of who you are. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.